welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. Jeff, this is the hot take extravaganza. The cannons are loaded, aimed, and ready to fire. We've got hot takes across the board. Like we've got football hot takes. We've got NIL hot takes. We've got academia hot takes. We got business hot takes. We got food hot takes. Everything. Top to bottom, this is the hottest, most spicy episode that we have ever dropped. Well, and it feels like we're due for an episode like this. Like it's been a long time since, oh man, I don't know, like the the UTSA game when it was 20, whatever the score was, 27-20. BYU didn't play really well. And everybody was like, well, that's the end. We're going to lose to Texas State or whoever the next week was. And then they came out and they like, blow, like blew the doors off of whoever it was that they played. And we had to get on and just be like, everybody just stop. You know, like we, we think we're smart. There's no question about it. You and I think a lot of ourselves and that's okay. I think a lot of you. I think you think highly of me between the two of us. We think very highly of each other and of ourselves. And we think we're right more often than we probably are. But every once in a while, I feel like we need an episode where we get up on a soapbox And we just tell everybody the problems of the world as it relates to BYU and everything else. And that is today. Today is the day. And we're checking all the boxes. I really, I don't think highly of myself and Mm. I don't think highly of you alone, but together it's, you know, we saw, we saw this with our picks when we went back through and tallied up how we did over the course of the season, right? Like it was just okay like your picks and my picks, but the places where we agreed that where the four really the, the key forks in the road where our paths crossed, like those are meaningful. And that was, yeah, you that know, was we, really, we were good. really, you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, you're yeah. about to get a whole lot of witnessing going on right here on this episode. Well, and it starts with participation trophies. Okay, and everybody's heard the rant about participation trophies that, oh, everybody gets a trophy and this is what happens. We have safe spaces. We have, you know, triggers and all this stuff. I'm so damn tired as as Gen one of the millennials, like we're we're the first I'm a little bit older than you. I am, you know, right on that border of millennial and whatever the back end of whatever was before millennial. I don't even know. I I am Gen one. I am a gen one of a millennial. And actually, I think that he even goes a few years older than me. So I might be gen two, but I'm not the millennial that everybody thinks of, you know, millennials that are 24, 25, just kind of getting out of college. That's what people think of. I'm so tired of millennials getting blamed for the participation trophy generation. It wasn't millennials giving us the trophy. I had no idea when I was playing T-ball at seven years old, what the heck was going on. I didn't care about the trophy. All I wanted was my drink ticket because we got free sodas afterwards. And I wanted a suicide because everyone, we thought it was the coolest thing ever to to mix every (laughs) soda and make cough syrup. It's ridiculous though, right? Like, cause I see it all the time. This is what happens. You get everybody a trophy. This is this entitled generation. Who the hell was handing out the trophies? It was Uh, our parents because you guys can't like, have a conversation and teach your child about wins and losses. You had to give them a participation trophy to make that drive home a little bit easier. And now here we are in 2021 being blamed for being entitled. Well, of course we're entitled. You handed us everything our entire lives. We didn't make ourselves entitled. You created entitled, entitled children. And now we're entitled adults. I don't understand why we get blamed for that. 
Well, and it's weird because it really is part of just like the whole boomer mentality, right? Of like yeah. participation trophy and people will, you know, we do the same thing, everything. I mean, you, you posted a link, you sent, put a link in here. You weren't talking, we said we weren't going to talk about this, but it was getting back into this. You send me a link from the financial times and the headline is economists predict at least two us interest rate raises by the end of 2023, which is whatever. But when you look at it and realize that like over a third, it might be almost 50% now with the latest COVID relief bill added in there, like of all US dollars that have ever existed in, since 1776 forward have been created in the last year and just like printed out of thin air. Did you know that in the last COVID, in, in a COVID relief bill, we gave foreign aid to China? <laughs> Who is buying the bonds that are being created to finance the debt? Who is financing the debt of all this? So it's, we borrowed money from China in order to yeah. give them money and then turn around and pay them back with interest, right? Like it's this, we're just going to give everything to everybody mentality. For a disease that originated there in the first place. Right. Like all of that, it's like, it's all, it's boomers. Like that is boomers yeah, are ruining that, everything. The only good thing that boomers have contributed to the world are you and me and our wives. That's it. Those are the four best things that boomers have contributed to God's green earth. Well, and the Rocky movies. Those were pretty good. Oh, yes. I'll give them credit for that. The Rocky movies were pretty solid. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it is. It's boomers. It's and, and it's just stop blaming millennials for everything. I'm tired of that. And stop That's blaming millennials. Well, and it's really not even millennials. It's really immature people because we've also dumbed down like if you are listening to this and you have not read or listened to the book the coddling of the american mind like 15 out of 10 you should go absolutely listen to that is probably one of the best and most informative books about the state of the world that i have read or i've actually listened to it twice and we've dumbed things down so much so all of the complaints now about millennials what you think of like millennials is like oh they just some new kids started at work it's like Okay, millennials. Now the youngest millennials are turning twenty-seven this year. Okay, right. they are they are not or twenty-five. I think it's twenty-five. Yeah, so it's like it ends in nineteen ninety-six. So they all graduated from college multiple years ago, and you're talking about Gen Z now. Okay, you're into the Zoomers. Okay, so Boomers, please redirect your hatred of everything annoying in the world towards Zoomers and off of the participation trophies because y'all invented that, not us. You did. You did. You invented it all. Uh, my next hot take. I got a few. We, we, we have like a flow. There's going to be a flow to these hot takes as we get into uh, some of the BYU specific stuff. But uh, here at the beginning, I just kind of have a bullet points of things that have really been bothering me lately. And smokers. Smokers have been on my mind recently. I have seen like it's summer. We're coming out of COVID. There's always like a, an influx of people buying smokers, which is awesome. I think it's great. Anything but I've seen more and more love cooking outdoors. Anything that will yeah. be cooking outdoors more is everybody good. should cook outdoors. But I have seen so many pictures and so many conversations about ribs, about pulled pork, and about brisket. There are so many things that you can cook on a smoker that aren't those three things. Like smokers are not just old fashioned Texas barbecue, right? Like that traditional, okay, I'm going to famous Dave's with the family for family home evening. What are the things on the menu there? Like that's not barbecue. I mean, it is, but that it, it isn't relegated just to that. Use your smokers 
for more than ribs, pork, and brisket. Please, for the love of everything, just branch out. And then I, I'm going to take people one the, step and further. And that's not even saying that you should never cook those, but it's like, you know, you got to have, you know, that can be your solid rotation for like, what, maybe 50%, 60% of your usage, right? Depending, and it obviously, I mean, it varies on how big. It depends on you. It depends on you. It depends on what you're cooking for, right? Like if you have a bigger family, you're generally cooking for larger groups. I think that's kind of the other thing is people only fire up this one where it's like, oh, I'm cooking for a big group. So I need to cook a lot of stuff. And then, so they do. You know, they do, they think, oh, I have to do lone slow. It's got to be, you know, 15, 16 hours. I'm doing a brisket or three pork butts or whatever. And it's like, no, you can fire something up and like, you can do smoked mac and cheese in an hour. You can do queso you can. in 45 minutes, right? Like you uh, can- Utah makes more funeral potatoes than anybody in the world. Smoke them, smoke your funeral potatoes. And I promise you, you are going to thank me after you do. And it, it really, I'm just, I'm tired of it. And, and I am a, I'm a smoker outdoor cooking guy. And I almost feel bad that I have felt this way for so long. But over the last few weeks, I have felt like I'm so tired of ribs and pulled pork and brisket. Like I'm going out of my way not to cook those because I'm just tired of it. If you want pork, cook a pork tenderloin. Just try something different. It doesn't have to just be brown sugar, paprika, cayenne pepper rubs. Like do a, an Italian seasoned lemon pepper pork tenderloin. It'll take you like 45 minutes and it will be delicious and you will love it. And you can do it on your smoker. So people, please, if you have any respect for me at all, use your smokers for something other than the traditional barbecue products. It just has to happen. We need a little bit. You need to sprinkle next to your rub, sprinkle a little bit of creativity on there and come up with something yeah. new, right? That's like exactly what it is. Right? I mean, we talked about it. I did smoke birria the other, you know, a couple months ago and it was fantastic. I actually, I've found some of the frozen leftovers, you know, that I vacuum sealed and were found them in the back of my freezer and I'm going to eat them for lunch tomorrow. And I'm very much looking forward to it. You know, I made are, a Thai chili chicken. Just yesterday, yesterday, Sunday, I don't know, this week sometime, Thai chili chicken, Thai chili chicken on the smoker. Like you can do a lot of things. So please just do something else. Next thing that bugs me, and it happens all the time at work, exact minutes. I And, and it really is a, it's a Zoom, Teams, right? Skype, whatever you use. It's I, a culture of working at home. To anybody who has to use Teams because Teams is horrible. Uh, we're a team shop, so I'm pretty uh, familiar I, with that. I'm, I left a team shop, and I'm very grateful that I got away from that crap. <laughs> but this environment, this work-from-home environment, has made video conferencing and, and stuff a, a, a staple in just about everybody's lives, which fantastic. I hate exact minutes. If I have to hear somebody say, well, we're three minutes over time, so we're, uh, I'll let everybody go. Three minutes over time. When we when you're sitting in a conference room, nobody cares one bit about being three minutes over time. And if they do, they say, "Well, we're a few minutes over time. We're five minutes over time. Let's get out of here. We're over time." But it's only been since working from home that this exact minute culture has become a thing. Or okay, well, I guess we're going to wrap up early today. I'm going to give you 27 minutes of your day back. I don't. I don't care. I don't. Why do we have this? exact minute just because there's a digital clock now that is looking at you in the face and all of your meetings that is in the lower right hand corner of your computers doesn't mean that you have to like forsake everything you've ever done about 
rounding time to the nearest half hour or to the nearest 15 minutes. Like this idea of I'm going to give you 31 minutes back. Just say a half hour. Nobody cares about that extra minute. In fact, don't say anything at all. But if you are going to say something, round it. Just say, hey, we're going to wrap up the meeting early and end the sentence there. You're not giving anybody any time of their day back. I hate it. It's one of the things I hate the most. That is the, that's like the newest thing on the long, long, long line list of office jargon that is complete Ugh. BS that needs to get rid of. So you have your list here and I will let you read through your list as I'm adding to it with my own things of things that are obnoxious. Yeah. Things that you say in the office that don't get said anywhere else in life. Like there are so many other ways to say these things. And in every context that is outside of the workplace, you say the other ways to say these things. Low-hanging fruit. When was the last time in real world's life you talked about low-hanging fruit? But that's like a daily phrase at anybody's office place. Oh, we're going to launch this new initiative and uh, this will really help us get that low-hanging fruit out there. And then we can work on a strategic direction for the next one. Low-hanging fruit is one of the dumbest phrases in the world. Reinvent the wheel, kind of like low-hanging fruit. When do you say reinvent the wheel outside of work? Never, ever. Nope. But at work, you talk about it all the time. Oh, I need this report, but we have one that's kind of like it. I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel. Just use that as a starting point and go from there. It's BS. It's garbage. 50,000 foot level, same thing. Like we always talk, and really like holistically. Like I have never said the word holistically or a holistic approach outside of the workplace. But I say it all the time at work. The Everyone only people, the only to. people who say holistic approach, are DOs talking about why they preferred going to a DO school instead of an MD school, and nature and like nature of passing chiropractors, and then people yeah, in the well, office. That's it. And then people in the office, and you have to say it all the time. Like you have to, or you're not smart. A deep dive. That's another one. Uh, let's, yeah, we could we could take a deep dive. And uh, really figure out what the requirements are with this. Uh, we need to set some time aside, have a deep dive call. I, I don't care. Deep dive is stupid. Uh, customer experience is my new buzzword that I absolutely hate. People have destroyed the phrase customer experience. It means nothing now. Well, absolutely it's one of those nothing. things that's like, what do you, you don't really need a phrase for because that's just everything is customer experience, right? Well, and, and now, like, so we have an issue. And I have employees, like coworkers that, that work with me at my place of work, who I hope they're not offended by this. But if you are, you're part of the problem. So stop doing it. Customer experience. People will take customer experience now and that phrase and just argue whatever. Like it's lost all meaning. But it's also like the trump card that you can't do anything that's a bad customer experience. But if you can take any argument about anything at all whatsoever and somehow find some adjacent connection to a customer experience and you say that, you look like you're the damn all-star in a meeting because like, oh, Jeff is thinking of the customer. Look at him looking out for that experience. It's like an executive BS word. I hate it. Data-driven decisions, the same one. But the, the phrase that I hate more than any other phrase in the world is let's take this offline. That's so stupid. It is the most annoying thing, especially when it's in person, like when you're in a meeting and you're all looking at each other across the table. 
and you get into a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody that, well, I don't want to distract from the rest of the meeting. So Jeff, you and I, let's take this offline. I, I think it's the dumbest phrase in the world because in any other situation, it's like, oh, Gary, you and I will just talk about it later. Hey, I'll just, I'll, I'll come find you. We'll talk about it later. But when you're at work, it's, you got to do it offline. I hate it. These yeah. are the things that just bother me. And all of those phrases need to go away and be burned with fire. Uh, well, and I have more. And so even some of them, data-driven decisions, right? Obviously, like I'm a data person, right? Like I'm an analytics engineer. That's what I do all day. It's like everything, like customer experience, everything is it's a data a decision. Everything yeah. is a data-driven decision. It's 2021. You're not making decisions without data. And if you are, you're going to be out of business, right? Like it doesn't, everything you're doing is data-driven because even at the prima facie of your business, you'd say, hmm, can I make a profit doing this? If you didn't think you could eventually make a profit, you wouldn't have started doing it. And so from the beginning, every business is founded on a data-driven decision of, well, I looked at this and thought that I could find, carve something out, whatever. Like, that's it. So it's like, same thing with customer experience. Like, it's just there. Like customer experience, like if you want to call your customer service team, and call it your CX team, whatever, like that makes sense. If you're talking about, you know, your call center and making, you know, dealing with issues, whatever, but yes, like I, you're in terms of like, oh, we always have to be improving the customer experience. It's like, of course you are. Like, that's not like, that's not a gold star badge to put on yourself. Like that's just, we, that's what you we, do. That's the we baseline had a discussion. We had a discussion at, at my place of work. We're redoing the IVR for our call center. And there was a discussion that lasted for like 30 minutes because somebody said that the IVR path, like the automated banking, you guys all know I'm a banker, the automated banking path that we had proposed was too complex. And so it was a bad customer experience. And the other person in the meeting argued that if we don't have it this way, then the customer isn't gonna be able to do this process in online bank or in uh, through the IVR. They'll have to do it through online banking or something else and not having it available is a bad customer experience. So it was like, it was like when the woke meet the other woke, you know, like the woke from one side of an argument that is like, and we're treading on some like political waters here, but let's say it's like, you've got the BLM person who's, you know, very much anti-police. And then you've got like, and they're like black lives matter, whatever. Great. Perfect. I love it. But then there's the black police officer and it's like the woke doesn't know what to do because it's like, well, wait a minute, we're fighting for this cause, but also you're a police officer and they, they don't know what to do. And it's like, they come to a head. That was what this, it was like intra office wokeness of somebody who is just adamant that customer experience is the most important thing saying that this is a, an insufficient customer experience, arguing with somebody else who's saying that this is an insufficient customer experience and it was like I could see their brains spontaneously combusting as they argued because they didn't know what to do if you took away the customer experience argument. They just kept arguing, well, it's a bad customer experience. Well, yeah, but this is a bad customer experience. Yeah, but this is a worse one. And it went on for 30 minutes. And if they would both have taken a step back, they realized you need to offer both because your customers are not a monolith and different people need different experiences working through your application. And Ugh, it's just the worst. and you're not gonna please everybody. But now onto yeah, the, my list. My no, well, biggest your list is good. My biggest, biggest, biggest number one thing: people who on be it Slack or Teams or Skype, whatever messaging platform you use within your office, drop a hey and walk away. <laughs> like I 
what the hell am I supposed to do with this? What are you trying to, to ask me to do? Like, was it, and I've seen people say, like, well, I'm just seeing if they're available to talk right now. It's like, well, ask me a question and I'll answer it when I'm ready. Damn well worst? ready. What or say, get- hey, I need to talk to you right now. Do you have a minute? Can I call oh, you? I, That's fine. Don't, actually, don't me call, but just don't drop hey. What am I supposed to do with hey? <laughs> I don't like it when I get asked, hey, do you have a minute for a call? Well, just pick me up and pick up the phone. Call me. If I have a minute, I'll answer. If I don't, I won't. It's that's that fun too. Just, just, just call me. Like that's what we used to do in the world. If I wanted to know, oh, I wonder if Garrett has ten minutes to talk. I wouldn't text him and say, Garrett, do you have ten minutes to talk? I would just call you and say, hey, oh, you answered the phone. Do you have ten minutes? Like that used to be the way the world worked. True. But now we feel like we and have that's to fine introduce too. the phone call. And that's I fine too. It. Just ring them up. Like Slack has built-in calls. Just ring them up, and then if we're reject the call and say, Hey, I'm busy. I'll call you back in 15 minutes. Okay. That's totally fine. That's great. But don't just drop a, Hey, and walk away. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's stupid. Other it's terms, sir, seeming of take this offline. I will ping you. Like you don't say ping. Okay. And I don't want to talk about ping. ping. If you're checking to see if you're connected to the internet and you're trying to reach an IP address from your command line, that's when you ping yeah. something, right. Or you're on a putting green and you're pulling your putter out of your bag. Okay. Then you ping something. If you're, you know, talking about golf clubs, circle back, that's dumb. circle back. That's kind of very similar to take this offline kind of in that vein. Um, what's the ask? Like, what's the, just say, what's the question? Like, I don't know. It's one of these weird things. Like, I feel like that one dude was his name, <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk. Right, Gary V. I feel like that dude invented half these stupid ass phrases. Like, Ugh, so, so annoying. Bad. Like all this corporate speak. Like, just talk like a normal person. You don't. A normal human being. You've you got a good change, one on here. If you change you the way mention. you talk, I'm. If you change the way that you talk, there is not enough bandwidth in your head <laughs> to actually prove that you are intelligent. Like, if you change, that was my last one. Is it? That was bandwidth. your last one. It's like, but the enough bandwidth isn't about time. It's actually compute processing. Right? If you feel like you need to change the way you talk to sound more professional, to me, you just make yourself sound more dumb. Like, I hate it. I don't like, have I mean, there, to do that. There are some things that like, there's no way around them, right? Like I was working on a project and so we're writing up the charter for it, whatever. And the title, it's like, we didn't come up with some fancy title. We just put problem statement. And then the next header was proposed solution. That's fine. Like there's some things that kind of sound forced because well, there's no better name for it, but you don't need to make up these weird names that say like, you could just say, I'll talk to you later. Let's catch up well, on that it's later. Like, like you, you and I, like the podcast isn't a business, right? Like, but it could be. And we've run our, we have our website. We do Cougar Sports Insider. We sell our shirts. We do other things, but we'll send a text. It's like, Hey, do you have time to record tonight? Like you never, in, never would you ever respond and say, no, I don't have bandwidth tonight. It's no. just, no, I can't. Let's do it tomorrow. Cool. But if you and I were in the office, it's like, hey, Garrett, uh, we got to do it this week's episode. <sighs> I got too much on my plate. I don't think I have the bandwidth today. No, I just say <laughs> and, I'm slammed. I can't do this. Cool. And here's <laughs> the thing. With all of these stupid phrases, we all say them because you have to, because that's the culture that has been created. It's going to take everybody collectively working together to put an end to office jargon. It can't just be one or two people in each office. It's got to be all of us working hand in hand to put an end to this BS language that exists nowhere else but the office. And language that has perfectly acceptable substitute words 
that we use every day. I have one more before we get into some of our BYU content. I have one more thing that just really bugs me. And it really, uh, I don't know how many people listen to Lil Dicky. I listen to him. I don't know who uh, that is. Oh, he was the guy that uh, he's the white dude who's a rapper. He had the song that he switches bodies with Chris Brown. It became like this big deal. Well, here's the context of this song. He's this white rap rapper dude who's just kind of this funny guy. And he switches bodies with Chris Brown. And then he asks, like, as Chris Brown in the music video, like, oh, wait, can I say the N-word now? And so then there's a whole, like, half a verse that's Chris Brown singing the N-word, but it's Chris Brown acting as this white guy in Chris Brown's body, right? Okay. And it created, like, all of this, like, cultural storm because it was like well wait a minute this is a white guy saying the n-word and it's like, actually no it's chris brown saying the n-word impersonating a white guy and it was one of those woke versus woke things it was really interesting but lil dicky has a song he's like a comedian rapper okay and he's very inappropriate very rated r so if you're sensitive to that whatever then don't listen to him but if you're not he's funny and he has one song called pillow talk it's a 10-minute song. It's really hilarious. The context of the song is he and this girl, they meet, they hook up, and they're done, and now they're like just talking in bed, and they find that they kind of hate each other. But she uses the phrase, well, you can't really compare those. It's apples to oranges. And little Dickie's like, okay, but but why can't we compare fruit? And it's true. <laughs> like, Why can't we compare apples to oranges? Like one's an orange, one's an apple, one's more round than the other. One has a peel that you can eat. The other one doesn't. <laughs> why, why can't, why, why did that become the phrase of, well, it's apples to oranges. You can't compare that. <laughs> you, you actually can't compare apples and oranges. We compare things that are different all the time. Right. We compare Democrats and Republicans. We compare Utah to Texas. Like we compare things all the certain, time. Certain people compare Utah to the South and have suggested that Utah is a Southern state pretending yeah. to be in the Rocky Mountains, uh, yeah. which is ridiculous. And apples, like, right. I mean, it's, yeah, we do compare. It's like, I like fruit more than vegetables because I'm a normal person. I compare fruit to the Right. I don't get why yeah. you can't. I don't know. It's, it's weird because it kind of goes back to the thing that's like, things just can't be different anymore. Like you can't just be like, oh, you think that about that differently than me. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. Like not everything has to be right and wrong or better or worse. Like it's right. okay for things to just be different and it's not the end of the world. And that is a very good segue. I don't know if you did that on purpose or not, but a very good segue into uh, the first BYU topic of the agenda and of the show today. And it is Joe Brown. Lone Peak offensive guard just committed to Virginia today. I take back my nickname that I gave for him. He is no longer Judge Joe Brown to me. No, no, he can't be. But you know that Virginia is going to take advantage of that. I'm trademarking that. So you can can (laughs) NIL that for me. I think think Judge Joe Brown may have already beat you to that trademark. But if you can get it done, good luck. Uh, Joe Brown went to Virginia. I think he's going to do great. I, I think very highly of Joe Brown. BYU didn't really recruit Joe Brown. Okay, first, we've got to talk about offers. When offers go out, it is not 1995 anymore. Like there are, we've talked about this before, and yet every day, every time somebody who has a perceived connection to BYU and quote unquote should be at BYU, anytime somebody goes somewhere else, everybody looks and sees, oh, they have an offer from BYU. BYU must have really wanted them. How could they lose that recruit? 
Well, look, offers aren't the same in 2021 as they were 30 years ago. Offers are qualifiers. You have to have, in order to get into the door with a lot of these players, in order to have them come to a camp or come on a visit or even pick up the phone in some cases, you have to, quote unquote, offer them. That's what it is now. It is not this handwritten sign yes or no letter that is sent to somebody that is formally offering them a scholarship. That's just not what it is. So let's talk about Joe Brown. Joe Brown was, I mean, he's the, the little brother of Terrence Brown, grew up, played at Lone Peak just up the road. BYU had all the opportunity in the world to offer him a scholarship. Jeff Grimes, Eric Mateos, they were here for a long time offering scholarships to players in the class of 2022 while they were still at BYU two years ago, but they didn't offer Joe Brown. They weren't impressed. I don't know. They didn't see enough. They wanted to see more, whatever you want to say. They didn't offer Joe Brown while they were here. Daryl Funk comes in and he is playing catch up. That's something that like people don't understand because I've seen a lot of people hating on coach Funk. We don't know if there's like, Should you hate on Coach Funk? Should you not? I have no idea yet. He's only been able to see kids on campus for three weeks, for crying out loud. Like We we want to point out that Coach Funk was the one who extended the offer to Joe Brown. It was not, even though Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos probably probably should quote unquote have because he's a legacy. I don't know if he counts as a legacy being a younger brother, whatever. Like they've been on Joe Brown. This is not a coach funk screwed the pooch thing on this like it was yeah there's multiple people involved and 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 they didn't even screw the pooch so i regret saying that because that's not what we're going to so coach funk comes in he's late to the game right like for the class of 2022 as a brand new off or a brand new position coach at byu he's behind all these other schools that have been recruiting all these other offensive linemen so in order to get into the game and in order to have conversations with players coach funk has to offer scholarships and there are kids, there are kids that I talked to that Coach Funk hadn't even had a conversation with yet, but they had already offered him. Why? Because they looked good on film and Coach Funk could only get a hold of the coach and said, hey, I want to offer that kid a scholarship. The kid goes and tweets the scholarship before the official phone call even happens. Like that is the way that recruiting works. So Coach Funk goes out and he offers a bunch of a bunch of players just doing his due diligence on and trying to find connections, trying to see who he wants, trying to figure out who's on his roster. Like all of these things are happening at the same time. And he's brand new on the job. Joe Brown was not very high on his list. Joe Brown is six foot three. He's about 270 pounds now. He's an interior lineman, and I think he can be a very good one. I think he's going to be really good. He's probably going to play center at the next level. Uh, He's never snapped the ball, so he's got to learn. But I I think he could be a very good center. BYU doesn't have as much of a need for interior alignment right away. They have a huge need for tackles, but they got a they got a big long pipeline, big stock full pipeline of players that are both on campus today and players that are in the pipeline who are going to be interior offensive linemen. So Coach Funk decides the same thing that Coach Grimes did. Hey, Joe Brown's going to be low on my list. In fact, from what I was told, they were kind of hoping that they could maybe get Joe Brown as a walk-on at the time that Virginia offered Joe Brown, he had no other offers. I think he had an offer from Weber. Like there was, there was an FCS offer. That was it. Virginia offers. And then BYU recognizes at that point, okay, crap. He's not going to come as a walk-on. We still don't have him very high on our board. 
But in order to continue the conversation and hope that he at least answers the phone in the event that he does climb up on our board later on, or in the event that we miss on some of the guys that are, are currently ranked ahead of him, we better offer a scholarship now so that we could stay in that game, stay in the conversation. That doesn't mean that he suddenly went, oh, Virginia offered. He's now a must get. That's not how it works, ladies and gentlemen, not how it works. So BYU, less than a week after Virginia offers, goes ahead and they extend an offer to Joe Brown. And then they kind of recruited him pretty lightly after that. Virginia would with someone who was lower on both your needs list and your own evaluation, right? Like it's 24 seven evaluating these guys. Like that's just, that's one group of people, right? When you look at them and it's, you know, well, that's one group of people independent of team needs, independent of scheme, independent of everything. And Joe Brown was an 86. Like he's a a very solid three-star player and he fits what, Robert and I and Garrett 2J like to do on offense. He fits the mold of the offensive linemen that were here when 2J was here. But we've seen that BYU's gone a very different direction since 2J left. Even when it was uh, Mike Empey, they went for bigger, stronger, more athletic linemen. Like that's just what they did. And looking at the rest of Joe Brown's offers, which actually 24 7 does have Joe Brown listed as an interior offensive lineman. Um, so he's got Virginia, BYU. He reports from Indiana. I don't know how much content can actually happen there. And then Idaho and Moorhead State, which are both FCS schools. Like, yeah, like there wasn't, it's there wasn't not, it's not like half the Pac 12 is banging down Joe Brown's door and BYU ignored the guy in their backyard. Correct. And I think that there's something to be said about that, right? Utah is, uh, they, they, they've become a pretty solid and consistent offensive line group under Jim Harding. They aren't even really calling Joe Brown at all. Utah State is a pretty good offensive line group. They've produced a lot of of solid offensive linemen over the last few years. And when uh, Blake Anderson took over at Logan, they went on an offer spree that they started offering anybody and everybody who had even a shot at playing D1 in the state of Utah. They didn't offer Joe Brown. Like, they, they passed. That's not to say that Joe Brown isn't good. This is in no way downplaying his talent. It's that his talent is different. He is a he is not the most athletic guy, but he's big. He's strong. He's not tall, but he's big, strong guy. He's going to be able to move the pile, but he's not going to be a guy that you're going to want to bring in as a pulling guard. He's not going to get outside the hashes and be a lead blocker. He is going to block the guy who's in front of him and hope the players, you know, on 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 runs that Robert and I likes to do draws off in the a gap in the B gap. That's where Joe Brown's going to do really well. That's just not what BYU does. He's not athletic enough for BYU's wide zone run scheme. So BYU didn't offer, but today you would think it is the end of the world with the things that I have seen about, Oh my gosh, Virginia is taking everybody. Joe Brown, if that if you can't land Joe Brown, who is a high level P five lineman, Look, guys, like Virginia if, was the only P5 had, school to offer. If, Indiana, like you're right. I don't think there was even a, much contact there at all. After the offers came out, I talked to Joe just like three days ago, and it was BYU and Virginia. Those are the only schools he was really hearing from, and he was hearing a ton from Virginia. Once BYU offered, Virginia, they wanted him, and they put the full-court press. They did exactly what they should have done for a guy who's high on their board, but he was not high on BYU's board, period. End of story. Recruiting is not some zero-sum game. 
there is not a winner and a loser in every battle. Like we can get to signing day and Virginia could be stoked that they got Joe Brown. And I hope that they are, but BYU can land three or four other offensive linemen and be equally stoked that they landed those guys. And they don't have to think about one another ever again. And we can all be happy. Like it's one of the most interesting things that, uh, that I see on the recruiting trail that anybody who has even this sort of barely little bit of a jaw uh, of a connection to BYU, that there's this like entitled feeling that they should be at BYU come hell or high water. They should be at BYU, but coaches evaluate differently than just looking at connections. Joe Brown is a guy who had all the connections in the world and probably could have ended up, would have ended up at BYU had they wanted him, but he wasn't high on their list. So they didn't recruit him hard and he did exactly what he should have done. And that's go somewhere who wanted him really, really bad. Right. And that kind of takes us to another one, the McKenzie twins. You've talked about this on the board a little bit. Um, it kind of sounds like, you know, even though BYU was on them early, that this is, it's not going to happen. They're not going to come to Provo. And that is, I also think, and this is something that really bothers me and that there is a lot of BYU fans, like they almost feel like they are entitled to everyone who's like from Utah or a kid who's LDS. And it's like, if you leave the state, then it's like, oh, we screwed up, right? Like, it's like, oh, well, if they went to Utah, it's like, oh, well, Utah's on the pack trail, so that makes sense. If they go to Utah State, it's like, oh, well, they must really suck. That's why they went to Utah State. And if they go somewhere else and it's like, oh, BYU screwed up, whatever. And it's like, that's, you're not entitled to them. Like, it's not like, oh, well, BYU did everything right. So you should check this box and agree because it's BYU. Like, that's not the way it works. And sometimes you have kids like, maybe Joe Brown didn't want to go because Terrence Brown played at BYU. And he's just like, I want to do something different. Like, I don't want to be seen as Terrence Brown's younger brother. I want to be Joe Brown. And, or maybe, you know, the McKenzie twins, it's like, they don't want to be known as Brian and McKenzie's kids. They want to be the Marcus McKenzie. Yeah. They want to be be Donald Marcus and they want to be, do their own thing. Like even freaking speaking of, and I think it's likely um, I, you know, that you put in a crystal ball for them to both to Virginia. Correct. Um, I did. I'm, I'm not very confident about it. Here's why. Just some context about Virginia. It's not like this end of the world Broncos coming for everybody. I love the McKenzie twins. BYU wanted the McKenzie twins. The McKenzie twins just didn't really seem to want BYU in the end. They, they didn't prioritize them on, on visits. They, they took visits out of state pretty well. Every one of their visits was out of state. Uh, it just seems like they want to get out of the BYU bubble. Like, and I, I think that there is, they haven't said anything like this to me, but I think there's an element of, if you go to BYU, you're Brian's kids. If you leave and go somewhere else, you're whoever you want to be. And I think that they wanted that. I think that that spoke in some to them. in kind of going back to saying it's like things are not better or worse, just different. Like some kids love the idea of, you know, like Isaac Rex, right? He loved and wanted to go like come to BYU always because he loved that, like his dad here. He totally loved it's like, oh, my dad played here and now I'm gonna play here. It's a family thing. And that's fine. That's great. I understand that, but it's like, there's also nothing wrong with doing it. Like freaking, I mean, look at speaking of, you have your crystal ball to Virginia, Tiki and Rondé Barber. There's a set of twins who went to Virginia. Do you know their dad played at Virginia tech? Like they went to right. freaking rival schools and it's like, whatever their dad, actually, I just learned this, their dad was roommates with Bruce Arians at Virginia tech. Cause oh, they played funny. at the same time. And Bruce Arian up until 2016 had the single season QB rushing touchdown record 
at Virginia Tech. Oh, Michael Vick I did, did not beat him in that regard. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. But but no, I mean that that's a huge part of it. And so I did. I switched my my crystal ball prediction from BYU to Virginia. Uh, I'm not very confident in it being Virginia. I feel maybe the most confident. They've been pretty adamant that they want to make a decision before the season starts. And now we're in a dead period. And I can't imagine that they commit to a school that they have not visited. So right. they've gone to th- on three official visits to Pitt, to Arizona, and to Virginia. I give Virginia the edge out of those three because I they're, they're both going on missions and Bronco knows what to do with missionaries where I don't know if Pitt and Arizona do. So I think that's going to, that's what is going to win out in the end, but they could go to Arizona. They could go to Pitt and I wouldn't be surprised. Right. And I would almost say that Pitt is probably Pitt is getting because of the Anderson, like getting a weird kind of inroads with multiple guys going from Lehigh to Pitt. And so it's weird. It's kind of a weird little flow there, but I would probably say Virginia first, Pitt second, and Arizona third on that list. Um, but yeah, it's like sometimes you do everything right and it's just not a fit. And that's fine. That's not the end of the world. And you gotta you you gotta dance with who brung you and just worry about the guys that you do get because ultimately every time a kid picks your school, unless you are the only offer for every single person in your entire signing class. If every time a kid picks your school, they are saying no to multiple other schools, which means you are going to have more people say no to you than people who will say yes. And it doesn't matter how hard you recruit them. It doesn't matter like how much you roll out the blue carpet because we ain't got red carpets rolling through Provo. The blue, how much mm-hmm. the blue carpet is rolled out mm-hmm. for them, everything they may just not want it. And it's, they may want something different. They may, it is different for kids who grew up in Utah County. They kind of see BYU is not necessarily as the church school to aspire to. It's, they just say, that's the backyard school. And I want to, that's the hometown school in the backyard school. Some guys love that. Some guys say, no, I want to go away. Right. Like it's, I know Xavier Suofilo's dad was in a Bishop break of a student ward I was in. And he was just like, no, he loved BYU still. Like we watch BYU games all the time. Like, so be very fans. Just, he wanted something different. He didn't want to live five minutes from where he grew up. He wanted Uh, a different experience. So he went to, so he went to UCLA. Siaki is a great example that uh, loves BYU actively cheers for BYU. Uh, I think he recognizes that uh, the academics are different. The honor code is different. And it's just not what he wants to do. He wants to be out of state. He wants to play a different brand of football. So he went to LSU, won a national championship, transferred to Baylor. Uh, he still loves BYU. Like there's lots of, there's lots of things like that. And, and recruiting, that's just the way that it is. We talk about fit for pros, right? Like we talked about how we don't want Zach Wilson to go to the Jets. That people were hoping that maybe the Jets will pass on him at two and he'll fall take less money, have less notoriety, but play for a team like the 49ers or like the Patriots or like, you know, one of these other teams that was not the Jets. Why? Because fit, 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 fit. Well, fits the same thing at the college level, right? Like Kyle Van Noy, the Detroit Lion sucked. Kyle Van Noy, the New England Patriot won Super Bowls. Like there's no difference in the player. It's all about fit. It's all about how we fit in with the defense, how he fit in culturally, how we fit in with the, the coaching staff. All of these things played a role. And all of those same things play a role for recruits. So it's not the end of the world. It's not Coach Funk is the worst and how could you possibly screw up Joe Brown? It's fit. They didn't recruit Joe Brown very hard at all. They just didn't. They are recruiting a guy uh, at a bountiful high school 
Trevin Osler, who has one other offer from UNLV, they're recruiting him really, really hard. They love his potential. He is ranked higher and was ranked higher prior to the Virginia offer and commitment. He has been ranked higher on BYU's board since they were offered. Trevin Osler is a guy that he wasn't planning on coming to camp at BYU. And when his team was going to BYU and Trevin wasn't going to go, uh, he, he was going to go out of town and he had something else going on. And when coach Funk found out that Trevin wasn't going to be there with his team, coach Funk called his coach and said, Hey, I need to see him. And he took a visit at down by himself. Like they, they love this kid, six, five, 240 pounds, looks a lot like Brady Christensen did when he came out of bountiful high Very school. Much. And we all crapped on that offer. Um, coach Funk loves him. So it's all about fit. There's just so many different things that go into a recruit, go into a commitment. And I, I get tired of people who are taking just this very short level approach. And it kind of goes in, I'm going to move to the bottom of our agenda. It was going to be my parting shot, but it feels like it's a good time. Time to bring it up now. You can't only talk about recruiting when you have something to whine about. That can't be how you view recruiting. Recruiting, everybody talks about how recruiting is the lifeblood, and it is. But then how many people do you hear that say, well, I just can't get into it. It's hard for me to care about high school kids' decisions. Well, so many recruits flop, so I can't pay attention. Okay, I don't care. Then don't complain when you think things are not going well. That's not how this works. If you care about recruiting, you need to care about recruiting all the time. That is one thing that I think BYU fans struggle with more than any other fan base. And I, I get it because it's kids go on missions. Uh, a kid will commit early. Like Jackson Machesnik, he committed as a sophomore, and it was like six years after his commitment before he finally got on the field. So I understand that it's difficult, and it's a little bit hard to get excited about kids when they sign. But if fans don't, always pay attention to recruiting. If fans aren't holding coaches accountable and giving them credit when credit is due and openly complaining when things seem like they're going south, if there's not that full 100 or 360 degree transparent, honest conversation about the good and the bad of recruiting all the time, then coaches are only going, then it's like this weird, like secluded club, this like secret item for just the coaches, I, you know, and maybe I'm not making sense, but you look at like the offense, everybody knows who the offensive coordinator is. Everybody right. has an opinion on the offense. When Ty Detmer sucked in 2007, well, when the offense sucked in 2017, everybody had an opinion about whether Ty should have another shot or whether Ty sucked, right? Like everybody had an opinion and let's be honest, those opinions and boosters opinions and things like that, that mattered that played a role in Kalani's decision to let him go. It may not have been the biggest factor, but it was a factor. That's, that's undeniable. It was a factor that, hey, I can't bring you back another year, Ty. Fans are pissed. Boosters are pulling money. We can't lose like that. Fans, 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 right? Like fans have a role. But when fans are indifferent about recruiting, and they only complain when there's something that they think that they should complain about, but they don't understand the context. They don't understand the background. They don't understand anything about why a decision was made on the recruiting trail. It gives them zero merit and zero validity. And so the coaches can ignore it. There's, you're not holding those coaches accountable unless you're fair all the time. When Jeff Grimes came in and revolutionized the offense, 
he got credit for it. He was viewed as an offensive line wizard and everybody told him that. And so it gave credence to Booster's opinions or the common fan opinion when it felt like he needed to make a change in 2019 and then A-Rod started to get more involved. Fans don't dictate what Kalani does, but you're lying to yourself if you think that fans don't have a say. So fans, you, we, we have got to collectively care more about recruiting in order to have these kinds of opinions that we have today, right? When fans are upset about what happened today, if you aren't happy or excited when things are going right, then nobody's listening to you today when you have something to complain about, right? It's just the way that it is. And that's life in general. Nobody listens to the person who only complains. Yeah, that's simple. And I just look at it, man, like uh, at at Alabama, like even Nick Saban who wins national championships and that's how they measure their success is national championships. He has incentives based on recruiting rankings, Ohio state recruiting rankings, Texas recruiting rankings, like all of these schools care about recruiting rankings, but at BYU, I get it. It's hard to get excited about them, but we're just so indifferent about recruiting unless somebody who should quote unquote, go to BYU, go somewhere else. Then all of a sudden everybody has all the opinions in the world. And it's just, it's getting old. Like you have to care about it all the time. Speaking of recruiting rankings and kids going elsewhere, there is, I've got two hot takes here and one kind of going there. So one, one thing that I get tired, tired and kind of what you said about like people getting mad. I get so tired of hearing this because in people, I saw people talking about Joe Brown today too. It's like, well, I could turn Virginia such a great school. That's going to open so many doors for you. It's like, what, do you want to live in DC or Charlottesville? Maybe. When was the last time? If your family is out West and you live in Utah or you're from California or want to go to Arizona or Southern California or Seattle, when was the last time that you have ever gotten a resume across your desk from someone who is a University of Virginia alumni or alumna? Yeah, like, never. Alumni or alumna, never, right? Okay, Stanford. That's the other thing. It's like, well, I could never, I mean, I'd want my kid to go to BYU, but I could, they could never say no to a free Stanford education. What is your kid going to study? Do you realize that Stanford doesn't have an undergraduate business program? They can't study accounting or finance or marketing, any of the communications, any of the things that athletes typically do and kind of that skill sets fit in line with being an athlete and being able to leverage your personality and like and your name, image, and likeness and use your career as a stepping stone. Like, okay, if you want to study engineering or like uh, what Simi Fahoko studied architecture. Okay. He wanted to be an architect. BYU is an architecture program. That totally makes sense, right? Like you want to be an architect, you go to somewhere that has a, like a program specifically for that. Totally fine. I get that. But it's like, what are you going to do? Go to Stanford and study, you know, Italian. I mean, I, okay. I have an undergraduate degree in Russian language and literature. So I'm really one to talk here, but it's like, you need a graduate degree. And if you end up needing a graduate degree, then where you get your undergrad doesn't matter. And if you go get good grades at BYU, you will get into any single graduate program that Sanford could get you in. And I would argue that majoring in business at BYU and everything, especially with name, image, and likeness being a thing and being able to do that with the, that will open more doors for you than some random major from Stanford. Because unless like what, yes, if you want to, if you want to live in the Bay area and live the Silicon Valley lifestyle, and, or if you, maybe you study economics and then you want to go work on wall street, if you want to do that, then yes, by all means go to Stanford. Definitely like 100%. You can do that going from BYU, but the path will be easier going from Stanford. But if you just want to run of the mill, like job 
and you don't, you know, you're not trying to take over the world or start some venture backed unicorn and become a billionaire that makes an exit at 32 or whatever. And you're not trying to be the next, well, I would say be the next Ryan Smith, but Ryan Smith went to BYU, right? Like it's, if there is the idea that these schools like for the university of Virginia will open Stanford is way overrated in terms of what it does for you, because it doesn't matter. Like I can tell you right now, there are two things that if I ever see them on a resume, I immediately pull the person in for an interview. One, if they ever grew up farming or around agriculture or like on a dairy or something, because I know that they're going to work hard. And two, if they were an athlete, like if they were a division one athlete, because I also, again, I know that they're going to work hard and they know how to be a team player. Right. And so that's across the board, but it's like, if you are a BYU player, like you're going to BYU, and even I talked to Jake Longy about this. So Jake Longy is a, on the recruiting staff at Texas. And I talked to him about this and he, and he actually mentioned this because even, okay, Texas, that's a highly recruited school, whatever. And he even brought this up that this is a big selling point for BYU is that there are alumni in Texas, Arizona, Washington, Northern California, Southern California, Arizona, of course, all over Utah, Boise, Denver, like the alumni base is so spread out for BYU that you have a pick of things to do from. He said like, yeah, Texas is a great school. He said, but you kind of like, you're stuck in Texas, right? Like it's, you're being, having a degree from Texas does nothing for you if you live in Salt Lake City. It doesn't matter what the rankings are. It's just like, oh, you didn't go to a local school. Okay, you went to that, that's fine. I'm sure you're smart, we'll talk to you. But it's not like this amazing leg up that people make it seem like it is. Well, let's, that's hot take number one. So I'm getting, well, I'm, I'm getting creepy because I agree with you here. Um, I, I, I'm taking three guys who went to Stanford from the state of Utah that uh, they didn't make it in the NFL and they've been removed from Stanford for a few years. Dallas Lloyd. Let's start with him. Dallas Lloyd. uh, I have his LinkedIn pulled up. He's the regional vice president of sales, which shocker former athlete went into sales to all of our former athletes who listen to the show. We, we love you and we know your sales guys. It's just kind of what happens. And I don't know why it's just what happens. He went to Stanford and then he got his master's degree in communications and media studies at Stanford. And he worked in HR for a little while in Provo. He was a research assistant for a little while. And now he's over sales at a company called Funnel in New York City. But before that, he was working at Bamboo HR, which is a, that's a, that's a, that's a Utah County company with a lot of BYU money at top. Yep, he could have got the same job at Bamboo HR uh, with his BYU degree, without question. Brandon Fanaika also went to Stanford, uh, and I think he had a sniff, if I remember, in the NFL, like maybe a a, uh, a mini camp invite, but he didn't stick. After he got his uh, bat or his bachelor's degree, his undergrad was in math and decision analysis. Then he went on and got a master's degree at Stanford in communication and media studies as well. Uh, according to his resume, these are the jobs in succession leading up to today. He was an intern at Stanford Federal, Federal Credit Union. Then he was a summer analyst at Bank of America, and then again a summer analyst at Bank of America, and then he was a tax planner at Oracle, and now he's an investment banking analyst at Bank of America. He's working in Palo Alto, so he stayed you know, in, in the Stanford area, right? But that's not like some crazy career path that like, holy cow, this Stanford degree just absolutely changed his life you're telling me that you don't think that you could have got an accounting degree or a finance degree from byu and got a job as an investment banker and an analyst not even like the full-on investment banker an investment banking analyst at b of a 
Like, yes, of course you could. I mean, the last one. That's what I mean. Christian Stewart walked on, and he was an investment banking analyst at Raymond Jones, and now is working at a VC firm in San Francisco. So yeah, Christian Stewart it, it, exactly. walked on at BYU and ended up in the same place that Brandon Fanica did after graduating from Stanford. And one more, Sean Barton, Stanford University, got his bachelor's degree in international relations and national security studies. Uh, after, so again, he did not have a shot in the NFL as far as I know. So his jobs on his resume, according to his LinkedIn page in succession leading up to today, he was a lab assistant at the cardiovascular research center for a couple of years. He was an intern at Asurion. He was a business operations intern at health catalyst. And now he is an expense associate at Morgan Stanley. Like none of these jobs are like these crazy things. Like is Stanford going to help these guys? Of course it is. But is BYU going to help players as well? Of course it is. Is the University of Utah and the connections that come with being a standout football player at the University of Utah going to help those players? Of course it is. This whole notion that I could not possibly turn down Stanford. How could you turn down Stanford? It's garbage. Unless they're offering you a master's degree or they're offering you a spot in their law school, your undergrad is going to put you on the same path. Like, there's no question, right? Like, if you're just a regular student, take football out of the equation. That's a different ballgame. Different ballgame. You get a 36 on your ACT and you're getting scholarship offers from everywhere. Yeah. Then you're going to be on a very different track at a different program when you get to Stanford than the football player who's, who's there to play football. But that's different. For football players, it's really similar. And here's three examples of guys from the state of Utah who went to Stanford. Great. Good for them. I hope they're successful. It seems like they are. They're, they're, they're moving their way up in their careers, which is wonderful. But none of those jobs that we just listed, and again, that's obviously anecdotal of just three guys, but none of those are jobs that they would not have been able to achieve in some facet, maybe a different company, maybe a slightly different title. None of those are jobs that they couldn't have got with a BYU degree and or I a think, University of Utah degree. And the thing I think I hate about this the most is that it, it, like, it almost puts down BYU, right? Like it, it not only over elevates Stanford to something it's not, which, and I get like, okay, if you say Stanford, but then it's like, once you start comparing like Virginia or Texas or UCLA, yeah, also putting garbage. those there, it's like, no, like, like the difference is less and less because it's BYU truly is unique in terms of the, a, the spread of alumni chapters and how spread out the alumni base is. Like there are very few schools that have, like, even when I was looking at alumni chapters of different schools of different universities or whatever, when I was living in the Charlotte area, it's like BYU has, there's a BYU alumni chapter in Charlotte. There's a, like, you know, big schools, obviously there's like a Clemson one, a South Carolina, there's a Wake Forest one, most of the big schools, but it's like, there's most of the schools out West, like there's no, you know, they don't have a presence there. Like it is still, no matter what the ranking is of the school, most alumni networks are very, very regional except for BYU. And it like the whole world is our campus thing is very true. And I don't think people realize how heavily programs get recruited at BYU. Like university rankings aside, recruiters know where they can get something dependable. And they don't, the recruiters like, yes, the ranking is a factor, but it's like still companies show up left and right to recruit people from BYU because they know what they're getting. Now, number two on this, my number two hot take. NIL, name, image, and likeness is going to be official tomorrow. 
starting tomorrow, college athletes will be able to accept endorsements, will be able to pay for things. Is reported there's one girl who's a gymnast um, at LSU is reported that she already has like pretty much negotiated. She is going to be a millionaire this week because she has like 4 million followers on TikTok and over a million followers on Instagram. And it frankly is criminal that she built that up. It's nothing to do with her school. Like she built that up her own brand, whatever I get like, okay, if you work for a company and build something, the patents in the name of the company, you don't own the intellectual property. That's one thing. Right. But like no company says like, Oh, well you can't post something on social media. And like, it's the way that the name image and likeness has been treated by the NCAA has been so messed up. But now that it is official tomorrow, I think name image and likeness will have as big of an impact on BYU recruiting as removing the honor code would. That is my hot take. Cause I, I have gotta, long, I gotta let that sink because in for a minute. I think the honor code is much more of a floor than it is a ceiling. I do too. I think that the honor code is the honor code is a benefit. People think that it is a handcuff, but take away the honor code. And people disagree with me when I said this in the past, but take away the honor code and to a recruit in 2021, BYU really isn't that much different than Utah State. They're just not. They're a, a regional school in Utah that if you take away NIL, because that's right kind of what we're talking about that goes into effect tomorrow so without nil and without the honor code how different really is byu and utah state uh sure there's the football history but a recruit today really doesn't care about the 80s a recruit today never saw steve young play in the nfl they they really don't care about any of that stuff and and byu and utah state are really pretty similar to a 17 year old today right and there is the the honor code the honor code helps open doors i look at a guy like fred warner Fred Warner, uh, I'm not going to talk about his activity in the church because I don't care. I don't think that they were active, but if they were, great. If they were, I don't know. But Fred Warner had offers from everybody. Troy Warner, maybe even a better example, had offers from everybody and was committed to everybody. If it weren't for the honor code, they don't even pick up the phone for BYU, period. They just don't. But the honor code was something that was intriguing to them that allowed them to you know, they wanted to come, they wanted to focus on football, do the things that they needed to do. And that was a big reason that they came to BYU. So right. the honor code, it prevents them, sure, from going out and getting, uh, you know, the five-star athletes that are just going to sleep around a party and play badass football on the field. Yeah, BYU is not going to get very many of those. But take away the honor code, BYU still isn't going to get very many of those. Right. And so even if you took, I guess maybe not even taking away the honor code, maybe even taking away the fact that BYU is, I think the honor code combined with NIL is as good as it could possibly be then for BYU. Let me rephrase that. Cause like you said, you're not going to get those. Cause it's still, it's like, well, kids like, Oh, well, I don't want to go to that weird Mormon school in Utah. Right. Like it's, right. it's still a weird Mormon school in Utah. Right. It's still predominantly white. It's still the same Provo that uh, Jamal Williams had to find uh, a love of classic skating in order to find things to do. Like, right. Same town. Still it's, the same it's still the same town. It's still the same place. And so it's, that is a huge hill to overcome. Now, going back to what we were just saying about the BYU network, the amount of money, like if you look at, you know, for years, right? Like for years, it's always been like, oh, there's so many Mormon Instagram influencers, right? Like all this thing is like, for some reason, Mormons love social media and love influencers. Freaking BYU athletes are going to be able to make relative 
bank, right? Like some people think like, oh, like, okay, I talked about the girl from LSU. That's an outlier, right? Like the Spencer Rattlers, like he's going to sign huge stuff because he's the face of Oklahoma football right now, right? You know, if Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were around and this was, and I was going last year, like they'd be getting everything, whatever. There are, there are going to be more like the average, I think at BYU will be higher than it will probably be top 25 if you look at like team revenue, just because purely based on the amount of different things and businesses and things going on within the BYU footprint and people that care about it and will be like, oh, I can sponsor them. Like I can do this. I want to try something, whatever. They will get more experimentation because it's like, you know, you may have some national, like whoever's the front runner for the Heisman. Yeah. He'll do a Bud Light commercial or something big or Coke is going to sponsor him, whatever. But it's like, you're not going to have people doing crap. Like there's not going to be massive amounts of money going to the backup guard at Alabama. Right. Like it's not, I mean, there uh, might there's be, not going to be massive amounts of money going to most players. Right. And but, I hope, I hope that players understand that because I see, I can't tell you how many, how many tweets I've seen, how many Instagram posts I've seen from players about their DMS are open for business. Most of these guys aren't going to get a call. It's just like the transfer portal. Most of them will not get a call. And they, and so I think though, that this is where BYU actually will have a very good edge. And there are so many brands and people are so into it and they will be able to cultivate like, you know, this is like in Utah, the Utah food scene, right? Like Zuba's was the place for moms to go eat, right? And then DP cheesesteak rolled around and that became the place for dudes. Like uh, it was the, like, I know what I'm getting. I want a sandwich, whatever. Like DP cheesesteak is the male equivalent of Zupa's NIL in the state of Utah, the players at Utah state, well, maybe, maybe not Utah state. Cause they only have like seven fans, but like the players at Utah and BYU relative to the rest of college football are going to clean up just because of the social media culture and the number of businesses around that are very proactive and it it honestly helps because because they are in like there is no pro team in the state like the only pro team in the state is the jazz and so when it comes to football it's like every all eyes are on them and so there's a lot of things like hyper focus it's not like yeah like there's guys at usc and ucla but if you're jackson dart at usc you better hope that you're like in the heisman running because you're otherwise no one's really going to carry you between the between the Lakers, the Clippers, the Dodgers, the Angels, the rest of like USC, UCLA, the Rams, and the Chargers, and the Kings, and the Ducks, all being within, oh, plus LAFC and the Los Angeles Galaxy, like you've got 12 professional teams within like 25 minutes of where you live, like you are an afterthought. And it doesn't like, unless you are a bonafide superstar at a national level to cut above that, where BYU, it's like, you can be an okay middle of the road football player and you will be loved and famous in the state of Utah. It doesn't matter what school you're at. Like if you are decently good, people will love you because you are the, you are the show. What I love about what BYU has done, they're built for life program. I don't think we've talked about it much on the show. Uh, But here is why I think I can get on board with what you're saying is because BYU has taken an approach that their NIL program and their life preparation program is much more than just capitalizing on your football success. This built for life program almost hardly even mentions football. Like it is all about 
all the business opportunities, all the everything outside of football off the field stuff. That I think is going to open doors and open creativity, like creative minds and, and spark creativity uh, for these players to come up with different and innovative ways to capitalize on who they are and what their status is. I look at guys, you know, like, like Jordan Pendleton is an example. I think Jordan Pendleton is probably successful as a trainer, you know, gym coach, whatever he calls himself. I don't know. He's probably successful no matter where he goes, but there's a gym in Lehigh that Devin Mahina and Tuni Knuth run, and they're, they're both living their lives from it. And they are, I think there's another couple of guys who are involved with that, but they make money. They do really well. And we don't really talk about the athletic Republic of Lehigh, but they're, they're doing well. If Devin Mahina and Tuni Knuch open up that same gym in Boise, Idaho, or in Los Angeles, it, it's going to be really tough to get market share. But even guys who are like Tuni Knuch and Devin Mahina, who they weren't the, the, the name, the face of the program, but they were former BYU football players. There is something special about a dad sending his kid to train with former BYU football players that matters in right. Utah County. So they're doing really well in Lehigh and Ross Oppo, like Ross Oppo, same thing, right? Like margin hooks. He is really good at what he does in Texas. He still reps BYU. He still tags me or sends me a message anytime he has a camp in Utah or Texas, because he knows that the BYU audience can help grow his brand. And he's been out of the program for what, 25 years now, 20 years now. And, and he's still capitalizing on BYU. Would these guys be successful without that BYU connection? I don't know, maybe some of them certainly, but that BYU connection does play a big role. And I don't know if that's the same everywhere else. Like BYU fans, we've talked about BYU fans, BYU fans are the best BYU fans. What they lack, in, what I think BYU fans generally lack in college football knowledge at a national level, they make up for in knowledge of their own team. Very BYU so. fans love BYU. And I think that's going to, that, that plays a role here. And so I think I can get on board with what you're saying. The only thing that gives me pause is, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, are Utah County companies, companies that have BYU grads, presumably members of the church who are owning them that would be interested in signing an endorsement deal with an athlete, are they going to lowball these BYU athletes? Are they going to be cheap when it comes to these contracts, right? Like at Alabama or Auburn, like Alabama is a bad example, but let's take a, you know, even like a school like Tennessee or Vanderbilt even, uh, there's boosters at those SEC schools that, hey, you want to come and endorse the, like have an endorsement deal with the car dealership? Sure, we'll pay you $500,000. And they're just going to throw it around and they're not going to care because it's kind of like a legal way for them to shuffle money that, you know, to these players that they've already been doing. Right. I don't know that BYU fans are going to be doing that. I, I, that's, that's the only reason that I pause a little bit in saying, yeah, okay, like, sure, I think BYU fans would pay for Jim or for debt, but I don't know that they're going to pay for Baylor Romney, you know. Uh, here's And here's why I, I say that, is there are – so Taysom Hill, Kyle Van Noy, Jamal, some of these guys that, that were big 
that have gone on to the pros, they charge for like appearance fees. So if they, right. you know, have to go to an expo or whatever, they'll charge appearance fees. And I know of, of a, a certain event experience, whatever, that there was somebody, and I think it was, I can't remember if it was Kyle Vanoy or if it was Taysom, but one of them tried to charge a $10,000 appearance fee. This was like early on in their NFL career. And the person who was putting on this expo bought and was like, I'm not going to pay you $10,000. Like I was there for you throughout your college career. Why would I pay you $10,000? Well, because that's the going rate. You know what I mean? And so I, I wonder if there's going to be an element of that, that uh, I think that, that, I mean, I've seen it even, I don't know, in, in my own professional life at other companies that I've worked at that, that it's like, well, when I was a kid, I made $12 an hour. So we're paying 1350 as an entry level job. Now we're, we're paying kids more than we probably should. Like there's this element of that, that is in Utah. And I wonder if uh, players will be shortchanged a little bit by people looking to save a buck. There will be an adjustment, but I hope that if you are listening to this and are in a sponsorship position, open up your books a little bit, right? Like, you know, there's, you know, there is, uh, if you want stuff, if you want players to come and want players to enjoy being in Provo and want to improve recruiting, then sponsor them. And actually, it looks like now, um, a half hour ago, actually the first ever officially inked dotted line um, thing was a player named Antoine Owens, who is a defensive end, who transferred to Jackson State to play for primetime over uh, from Georgia Tech. And he signed with a, a hair product company that specializes in making hair products for um, African hair. So the uh, NIL is officially here. There is ink is dried in things. And even in the first player to ever sign a contract was from an FCS school. And, you know, so it's hopefully um, I, it'll be interesting to follow. Uh, we're going to try to get uh, someone on here in the next week or two um, to kind of talk about this, who deals with uh, athlete marketing and kind of their take on what we can expect from it. But this is a long time coming and it's not going away. And I, and I really don't think that this is going to change college football and like make it in arms just any more than it already is. Right. Like it's already there. It's just guys are going to be able to start getting paid for posting on Instagram and like they've already built a following yep. and they're going to be able to capitalize on who they are for being themselves. Yep. And that's not yep. like schools aren't going to, you know, I mean, sure. There'll be schools that do stuff like, Oh, well, if you come here, then we're going to, we'll sign you up with this deal. And so you're going to make $200,000 by coming here, blah, blah, blah. That already happens. There are schools are to do that where they, Oh, this car dealership is going to hire your dad to go work in the back and what be the car wash guy. And like, and, you know, it happens all the time. And really he doesn't actually have to show up, but, and do anything, but we're going to pay him all this money. Like that happens all the time. But I think what will be interesting is there will be guys that like, I think it'll, I'm very interested to see how this changes guys who declare early for the draft. Because Dax Milne is a great example. Right. Because Dax Milne, now you're looking at like, okay, where he's like, okay, well, I can get drafted late. This is my only shot. This may be my only shot, whatever. Does he decide to come back if, you know, BYU, the Utah community, everyone, you know, Cougar Nation rallies around and we're starting to throw NIL money. If he's like, well, being at BYU, people like me between a couple different appearances, sponsored posts, like doing this, you, you know, I've got affiliate links and people are buying stuff through my affiliate things. Like 
I'm already making 175,000. I made $175,000 this year between cameo and all this other stuff. Like I'm making, I made $175,000 this year. Do, should I stay another year? Because I can probably get that up a little more. And now it's like, okay, that's basically equivalent. Me staying for an extra year in college is now between the two years. That's basically a guaranteed one year salary in the NFL, you know, is this better for me? Like, you know, is this better yeah. for me? Like, it, should I stay another year and try to not only build this, but because you're not just talking about taking your shot and building your draft stock. You're also balancing that of maximizing whatever brand you have. And yes, like there is going to be a half-life on it, right? Like it's, you were talking about Devin Mahina and Tuni Knuch, right? Like it's people, if while you are there, you will do it. And for the next few years, like, yeah, a guy like Dax Milne, you could do it for the next three or four years, but unless you're an all-timer, all-timer, your support's going to, it's going to dwindle and it's going to go away. So this is awesome for players to be able to capitalize in the, the their 15 minutes of fame. Um, because like, if you look at guys like Taron Houck, if this was around in 2014, 2015, he'd probably make a decent chunk of change, whatever, but nobody in 2020 is paying Taron Houck for anything just because it's, oh, it's former BYU player Taron Houck, right? Like it's just... Yep. You know, you're there. Well, we're in the business. We're ready to, to give some endorsement deals here at Give Them Hill Brickham, but we're only giving endorsement deals to the players that aren't going to be heavily sought after. We want linemen and tight ends. Also that's because we endorsed. can't afford it. So that's... Well, there's some of that too. But we don't got to talk about that. Okay. I have one last hot take. My last one. The hottest. Uh, this is maybe the hottest. Preston Hadley needs his authority to extend scholarship offers. And maybe I should clarify, accept commitments. He, he needs to have that authority taken away. I, he is a first year defensive line coach, defensive end coach, Frodo coach, whatever we're, whatever we're calling him. He has offered uh, now multiple players that are based off of purely measurables that are not actively playing defensive end today. Caden Chittister, uh, Chidester, we never did figure out how to say his name. And, and I think he actually does play a little bit of defensive end. But not a ton. But not a ton. Cooper Ross is playing eight-man football. Like, even if he is playing defensive end on that team, it's not the same. Uh, Brooks Jones was playing basketball. I think he's played one year at uh, ALA in Arizona has not played a whole lot of defensive ends. And now he offered another offensive tackle who, when I saw his film, I actually was kind of like, okay, yeah, I see a lot of Blake Freeland in this guy. He's like 250, 6'8". He's this big, long offensive tackle. Uh, turns out Zoom Esplin out of California is playing or was offered as a defensive end. That's four guys. Assuming Esplin commits, and, and I don't know why he wouldn't at this point, uh is the only offer like I don't, he doesn't have a profile on 24 7 or rivals like he's very much off the radar right all-time name but we don't know anything about him other than he played offensive tackle in, in his high school that is four guys in a small recruiting class that have gone uh, the four offers i guess four spots in a small recruiting class that have been allocated to a position with a coach who has never coached that position before. And now he is taking not, he's not offering guys that, you know, this isn't, this isn't 
I don't even know. This isn't like Chase Young, like that is just some right. can't miss defensive end prospect. These are these are projects. And in a small recruiting class that up until a couple of weeks ago, all indications were 12, maybe 15 players in this class. Four have gone to players who will play defensive end that don't currently play defensive end. They've been offered by Preston Hadley, Elias Tuyaki, or Ed Lamb. But a lot of them have been Hadley himself. And I'm here to say, and really maybe we could extend this beyond Preston Hadley, but he needs to have his authority to offer scholarships taken away. Just need to reel it in a little bit. Yeah, like that's scary. Or a a lot of it. That is, I think, a little bit scary. I'm looking at the list. So I had a conversation with the hashtag sources today. And here's the list of players who are currently committed. Noah Moyaki is is truly an athlete. Like he could play offense or defense. Same with Jaron Kalama. Micah Wilson, linebacker. Cannon DeVries, I hope, plays offense, but it sounds like the defense wants him and they're probably going to win. Leotai Kinney-Kinney, defensive line. Micah Kafusi, linebacker. Braxton Feely, defensive line. Brooks Jones, defensive line. Cooper Ross, defensive line. Caden, Caden Chittister, defensive line. Uh, if these other two guys... Zoom Espelin, if he commit defensive line, this this spot or this class was at the beginning of the year only supposed to have like twelve guys on it. I just rattle off nine who are going to play defense. Yeah, and there's still more who are going to commit soon that are in the pipeline. This is a problem, and this is the kind of stuff that that we want to complain about. Joe Brown, look, even if BYU wanted Joe Brown, I don't know that they're going to have room for Joe Brown. Like at the way things are going, the defensive coaching staff has run amok. Like they are, I, I don't know what they're doing. I, look, I'm not in the room. I, I don't have the roster. I don't know everybody who is and is not on scholarship. We saw players, you know, we've seen Saleti Favalayaki this week. He transferred. So there's still some roster attrition and movement happening. Keanu Saliapaga sounds like his grades are officially done. Like he's probably out. That's, there's, I, I don't know that that's announced anywhere, but that's yeah. maybe the worst and kept secret around. There's guys, some of these, there have also been players that have announced a commitment, but then it ends up being a preferred walk-on and it's not actually a scholarship. There's <laughs> come to chef come there, signing there, day. There, there's some of that. And I just don't know how BYU gets around that at this point. And I'm looking at this list. Uh, there are articles that have been out in the Des News this week. I think the Trib did something about how the Ed Lamb recruiting philosophy of measurables over this and that and this and that is paying off it's working because chris wilcox made it to the nfl uh, look guys i i could rattle off 30 players that it has not worked it didn't out. work that it hasn't worked out and, and here's the other thing that i'm frustrated with i the secondary is a great example so the secondary is being lauded as this this look at what ed lamb did by taking these guys who were just raw athletes, but they fit his height and his length and his speed requirements, and he brought them in. Okay, Isaiah Heron is like 5'10". So in this article, there's a quote from Media Day of Ed Lamb saying that there are two things that he will not compromise on, and it's length and speed. Okay, Isaiah Heron was like a 10'9 guy. I think he might have even been an 11 guy. And he's like 5'10". 
that's not length and speed. Chris Wilcox, I get like the guy was six, three and he ran like a 10, five, 10, six, something in high school and only got faster. Yeah. Like that. I understand. Isaiah Heron wasn't that uh, D'Angelo Gunter. Now D'Angelo Mandel, he is that, but that was a hell of a recruiting job by Gennaro Guilford. Like he had offers from Wyoming. He had offers from, uh, from Vanderbilt. He had a handful of offers that that wasn't this, under the radar raw talent. This was a guy who was very much on the radar at a bunch of different places. Want him at BYU got him. That's just a hell of a recruiting job. Uh, Malik Moore, I think maybe fits that mold a little bit, but he doesn't have elite length. He, he, the, the, the things that Ed Lamb says he won't compromise on. I don't think he, the, the Malik Moore checked all those boxes. Keenan Ellis, I think was like an 11, one guy. He didn't check all those boxes. And so, the Ed Lamb method that is being like applauded is kind of BS. Like he isn't sticking to it. Cannon DeVries, great example. If he plays corner, like where I think he's being slotted, I love Cannon DeVries. He's one of my favorite players in the state of Utah this year. I think he's going to be sensational, but he's six foot and that's probably generous. I, I would say 5'10, maybe 5'11. Um, He's he doesn't fit that length and uh, I won't compromise on on length and speed. You did. You did right here. And, and let's go through. I mean, you can go through every recruiting class. Caleb Christensen is like five, eight. He, he doesn't fit the mold. He's not even close. And yet he gets all this. There's all this talk and this credit about how look at these. Look at the way that he is taking these raw athletes that just have his two things that he looks for. They're just so fast and so tall. He compromises on it all the time. Right. All the time. Even last year, Jovesa Damuni, he's like 5'10", 5'9", maybe. I think he's shorter than that. I think he's like 5'7". Yeah, he's not very big. Quentin Rice, I I guess he's going to play. Maybe he plays wide receiver. I don't know where he plays. But he was like 6'1", 170, and like an 11 flat, 11-1 type guy. Isaiah Glasker, he's 6'5". He had the height. He meets that requirement, but he but was not. north of an 11 second. Like, so he, it's one thing to have this formula that you won't compromise on. Like, great. If everybody that was being brought in had the measurables that Chris Wilcox did, you would hear nothing from me. Right. But that just isn't the case. But yet, that's what we talk about in the media. And it, now that that, that now that there's been some success, and it seems like this methodology is being, not only is it being accepted, it's being praised by fans. It feels like some of these coaches, Preston Hadley at the defensive end position, are taking the same approach and applying it to different positions. But guys, like it, there there are a lot of players. Brock Davis didn't work, right? Caleb Christensen didn't fit what. What were the, the, the uncompromisable traits? Uh, there are a lot of guys. Dimitri Gallo didn't work. Javel Brown didn't work. Luke Andrada didn't work. Uh, Eric Ellison did not work. Like we can go through every recruiting class where this supposed philosophy has been here and we can rattle off a bunch of names where it did not work. Alex Miskela was one of the worst offers I've ever seen. Gosh. Period. Not With all due respect to the kid, that was one of the worst offers because it just, it was so clear from day one, but he's had these supposed measurements. It did not 
work. So I could give you a hundred examples of where it did not work. And yet this is being expanded and now we're seeing it in other positions. Look at Micah Harper. That is maybe the best recruiting win for BYU. And he is one of the best defensive backs on BYU's roster. He is not this elite athlete with speed. He is not super big, 5'11", 5'10", 5'11". He's just a damn good football player. And BYU recruited hard, got him, and he made an impression right away. Jock Wilson is going to come in. I think he's going to do some things this year. He's 5'11". So this whole notion that everybody is praising Coach Lamb for is BS. And now it terrifies me as a fan to see that same approach be tweaked and applied to a different position group, especially with a coach who's never coached that position. And here we are in a scholarship crunch with a small recruiting class and currently 40% of the players who are committed are not playing the position that they're going to be recruited for, or that they've been recruited for. That is scary. It is terrifying to me. Absolutely terrifying. And I don't, I mean, we've talked about this now multiple weeks in a row and it's where we're just kind of like, uh, what's going on here. And it seems like every week there's a couple more. And you did talk about this some, you know, where we have said, and there's players and fans have different approaches on things like fans think of it purely as like a business decision of like, well, if we can get the guy as a preferred walk-on, then don't offer him a scholarship, like try to play the game, whatever, where the coaches view it as if we think you're good enough, we think you're good enough. And so if we're going to offer you a scholarship, if we think you are deserving of one, we're not going to try to shortchange you because that sets us up to have a bad relationship for the next four to five years that, or at BYU, five to seven years that you're in the program. And yeah. so that's, I get that. And so, you know, as you think about that, it's like that, you know, changes things, whatever, but you know, so there is some of that where you just need to kind of recalibrate expectations, but there's, you know, there's a lot of things. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like, where you just got to look at it and be like, yo, uh, what are, what are you doing here? Like, I know and that's exactly can, what it is. When you it, can when under, it comes... I understand a, a couple, a handful of, you know, I can do a handful of guys, but I can't half the class cannot be flyers that you're, turn it into projects well flyers at one position i mean and that's maybe the biggest thing that scares me and, and, and that's you make a good point like this isn't uh should they have been a preferred walk-on or not this is a I, i'm not questioning any of these individual players right like the players maybe they'll be great maybe they won't all of recruiting is a little bit of a crapshoot like everybody knows that but i'm questioning the methodology like there's a player connor kelly is at lone peak right now he's six five 215 pounds, and he's a pretty damn good defensive end at a program that has produced some pretty good defensive ends. John Henry Daly, Michael Daly, they, they have produced D1 talent. He's not getting a look from BYU. He, he's very good, and he's right. getting college attention. But BYU is going and offering Zoom Esplin, who isn't getting a look by anybody, isn't connected to the program, and is 6'8", 235 pounds. Like it's just, I'm questioning the strategy. Hayden Hall is at Fremont High School, little brother of BYU's basketball, Dallin Hall, 6'3, 6'4, 225, 235 pounds, plays defensive end, and he's really good. 
he's getting offered, uh, getting looked at by Utah State. There's a handful of Mountain West schools that are looking at him. He has not really even been given a sniff by BYU. But Cooper Ross playing eight-man football is on scholarship already. Again, it's not about Cooper Ross. It's about this philosophy of what it seems like we're, we're it seems like BYU is going out of their way, and it seems like the defensive coaching staff is going out of their way to not recruit football players right now. They're recruiting athletes. Maybe it pays off, but again, it's kind of what we said a couple of weeks ago. I just don't understand why BYU is playing money ball when they don't have to. That's what I don't get, and it's not happening on offense. Offense outside of Trevin Osler, uh, who I think that the staff looks at as – not a project they think he's going to be very good he's not a i hope he develops it's look if he had when he gets his weight he's got a huge frame he projects big he's got all the tools except the weight he just has to get the weight we're not teaching him how to play offensive tackle he plays offensive tackle he knows how to play offensive tackle we just need him to get a little bigger so let's get him into the weight program he'll get a little bigger right. that's not that's not the same kind of flyer that we're talking about here the defense is playing money ball and i just don't get it and I think it's concerning. And I think that Kalani needs to rein in a little bit. Some of this, some of these offers, some of this attention, if nothing else, it, what, what's going to happen is it's going to create some tension with his coaching staff. At the end of the day, uh, maybe they can push a few guys out next year. Maybe they can sign 15, 17 guys in this class and push a couple of guys out. But at the rate, the defensive coaching staff is still offering players. Zoom Espen was offered today. Why? Like BYU does not have room in this class for more defensive ends, especially defensive ends who don't play defensive end. So what's going to happen is one of two things. If they run out of numbers, well, the offensive staff still needs their guys. So here's what's going to happen is they're, they're going to have guys on the hook that want to commit. They're going to go to Kalani and say, hey, we're out of scholarships. What do you want me to do? And either the offense is going to be told, sorry, they're full, good luck, and they're not going to be able to get their guys that they want. Which and now bad. you're making, which is bad, and you're making some of these guys play tight end when maybe they were recruited to play defensive end or it was not the offensive staff who wanted them in the first place or they have to go out and get walk-ons or you're now going to pull scholarships from these kids and you're, you're damaging relationships with these high school coaches and with these high school families and with these relation, uh, with these parents. This is bad. Like those are two bad things. The scholarship, the, the, the philosophy, the management of it, it's got to be under control. And I have a hard time placing blame on Jason on you. Here's why. Because the offense isn't doing it. Gennaro Guilford isn't doing it. Kevin Clune isn't doing it. The position groups that are doing it are the same position groups that have been doing it, whether it was Jason Ayu, whether it was Alema Fittisimano, or whether it was Tavito Fungale. It's the same guys. It's the same Coach Lamb doing the same thing. It's the same. It's a problem, and it's got to be reined in. So that's my hot take, is that uh, there are certain coaches on this coaching staff that we got to evaluate what's happening because I think we are headed towards a disaster, and right now nobody seems to be aware or talking about it. Amen. I think that's the the end of this rant, really, that we can get to. This is the, this a long a, show. It's a long show. This is a scorching hot show. Um, we're going to be back next week. Uh, remember that we are sticking it to the Daily Universe. Um, so we had a lot of orders this week. So if you are, you know, you, there is a link to support the show that's in the show notes. Um, you can support us through Anchor. Come join us at Cougar Sports Insider. Go 
buy some shirts and gear at giveemhellbrigham.com. And uh, not only will that be going to directly to the program starting tomorrow, it will also be going directly to players. So you are not helping hey. just us. You are, this is, this is a money laundering business. Like this is a fat <laughs> to get money into the hands of the players who deserve it. And with that, Jeff, give them help. Give them help.